ReachMD XM157 presents a special series, Insights in Future Medicine. How does the impact of technology, the push for quality, and the need for access to evidence-based information change the practice of surgery now and into the future? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment on the future of medicine. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Thomas Russell, the Executive Director of the American College of Surgeons. Prior to his leadership role at the American College of Surgeons, Dr. Russell was Chairman of the Department of Surgery at California Pacific Medical Center and Professor of Surgery at the University of California at San Francisco. Dr. Russell is well known as a consensus builder and innovative thinker who is taking the college in directions that will help to ensure that surgeons can practice in an optimal and ethical environment and that outcomes for and the safety of surgical patients will be continued to be safeguarded and improved. Welcome, Dr. Russell. Well, it's nice to be with you, Mark. Today we are discussing the future of surgery. Dr. Russell, think back to your early days as a physician and surgeon. What do you see surgeons doing now that you never would have dreamed of when you first became a surgeon? Well, I think one of the biggest things today is the fact that we can image the body. It's hard to believe, but when I started, I graduated from medical school in 1966, and we thought it was a quite advanced, the medical science. But realize in 1966, we had no way to really image the body. We didn't have ultrasound. We did have x-ray, of course, but we had no CT scans or MRIs. Today, I think one of the great changes is the fact that there's no guesswork anymore, that we can image the body, and we pretty much know what we're getting into in my early days of practice, probably one of the most common operations we did was a, quote, exploratory laparotomy. Right. And now, you know, those just aren't done anymore. So imaging is huge. And obviously, the science has advanced so that we can do so much today that we're, was unthinkable. Look at what we can do in transplant today. I mean, it's remarkable. And just think what we can do in some of the other fields of surgery. I mean, all these joints that can be replaced it's truly remarkable. Let's talk about the imaging for a second. Do you think that 20 and 30 years from now, they will look back at our present imaging abilities as being primitive? I think so. I think there will be much better ways to image. It'll be more specific. Today, we go from one image to another image, and then we repeat one of the ones we'd previously done. And there's a lot of uncertainty. I think it will be much, much better. I also believe that we'll be able to better target patients because we'll have a better understanding of sort of genetic predisposition of patients. So we'll be able to more target our imaging and our therapies, for that matter, to specific patients. Do you think that there is somewhat of a resistance to technology because of the marked increase in costs? Well, I wouldn't say there's so much of a resistance. There's no doubt that imaging has really increased the cost of healthcare. If you look at where the growth is as far as the amount of money that's spent on healthcare, it's not in, in major surgery, but it's basically in imaging and in a lot of the testing that we do. I think today there's a lot of this done that needs to be looked at with respect to the indications and the appropriateness of some of this. I think we're doing a lot of it right now. It's sort of new technology, and many doctors are buying equipment, 
and uh, it's being used. And so there's a lot of growth. And I think that as we uh, get better at this, we'll have more specific indications for when an image should be done and when it shouldn't and what type of image so that we don't have to go through a, a number of them before we finally get an answer. And what about you in the operating room? What have you seen specifically, technically, in the operating room that made the greatest impact, at least on you and your surgical team? I think the biggest thing in surgery, of course, is we've moved in my lifetime from maximally invasive surgery. It used to be said when I was a resident that great surgeons make great big incisions. (laughs) And the incision doesn't heal from end to end. It heals from side to side. So it doesn't make any difference how big the incision is. You just got to get in there and you have to have really good exposure. And now fast forward from that to the present day is everything is done with minimally invasive surgery. And eventually we're going to go to no invasion at all. We'll figure out more and more ways of doing procedures without any even an incision. And, and take the gallbladder, for example. In my era, that was a week in the hospital. I recently had my gallbladder out laparoscopically, and uh, I went back to work uh, that afternoon, I think, or the next morning it was, and it was minimal. And of course, now the surgeon that operated on me is now taking the gallbladder out through the mouth. <laughs> So-called natural orifice, transendoscopic surgery. And that's been done in many places in the world. I mean, not a lot of times, but it's been done in several locations around the world. And so there's a movement just in this one area, gallbladder, but it happens in lots of other areas where we've gone from maximally invasive to minimally invasive with the laparoscopic approach to now no incision at all, taking it out through the mouth. I mean, that's really an amazing transformation. And it makes it so much better for the patients and so much easier to recover. If you have just joined us, you are listening to a special segment on the future of medicine. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, professor of surgery at Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Thomas Russell, the executive director of the American College of Surgeons. We are discussing the future of surgery. Dr. Russell, I remember many years ago visiting Dr. Eddie Reddick in Tennessee, and I remember that his colleagues used to hold him in disdain that they thought it was heresy that he was trying to remove the gallbladder laparoscopically. And now, laparoscopic cholecystectomy is the gold standard. Do you see this type of transformation with other types of surgical interventions in the future? You know, anytime you come up with an idea that is very different than what the standard calls for today, you're going to be called into question. There are many things that are playing out right now that would fit into that category. Uh, I mentioned just a minute ago the so-called natural orifice surgery where perhaps surgeons and other providers in the future will do things either with endoscopes put down through the mouth or with endoscopes put up through the rectum or actually through the vagina. So that's very revolutionary and there's a lot of pushback on that. I've heard people say that'll never happen, it's unethical, it should never be done. Look at another area, too, that we're exploring now, and that is rather than removing organs like removal of the breast or removal of cancers, the ability to manipulate this diseased tissue with power sources that are different than a knife or a scapel. For example, radiofrequency ablation or using microwave as a power source or using other techniques where the tissue The diseased tissue can be manipulated. It can be heated or it can be frozen. It can be ablated by ways other than actually removing it in the traditional surgical way. Now, for some surgeons, this is heresy. I mean, this is not (laughs) the way to do it. 
And I understand that because, you know, if you're trained and you're brought up, as we all were, whether you're a primary care doctor or whether you're a surgeon, if you're brought up to treat diabetes a certain way and suddenly something comes along which turns it upside down or a new surgical procedure turns it upside down, it's a pushback. You know, we're learned to be fairly traditional and we're, and we're learned to do things by set ways that are sort of the accepted standards. Obviously, that's the way we provide care. So there will be pushback. There's no doubt about it as these new things come along. And you saw that with Eddie Reddick. Uh, he was sort of an outcast, but he came through it, and he's quite uh, well known for what he did. Well, Dr. Russell, how does the practicing surgeon, as well as the practicing internist or practicing family practice, keep up with the technology? How do they retrain themselves to stay current? Well, first of all, you have to keep your mind young. You have to be able to say, I'm in a changing field, and I have to be able to keep myself up to date on the newest technology and the newest knowledge. And that involves being able to change. It also involves taking some time out from your practice to get uh, appropriate continuing medical education or continued you know, professional development. It also means that you know, you have to stay really involved and active and know what's going on and reading and keeping track of what's going on in the literature. But it's a matter of keeping up to date. And of course, we're all going to have to do that. This isn't some sort of a theoretical thing. You're going to have to do that, number one, to be competitive. And secondly, you're going to have to remain competent. And we have this thing over all of our heads now, whether you're a primary care or whether you're a surgeon or no matter what specialty you're in, of so-called maintenance of certification. So we're going to have a lot more requirements put on us to maintain our competency through our whole compendium of our practicing experience. Dr. Russell, as we are learning and becoming more familiar with changing technology and advanced technology, is the surgical workforce becoming more fragmented in that the old ideas when you and I were in our training and we did hysterectomies and we did orthopedic and thoracic surgery as general surgeons, is that changing? Are we going to go too far fragmentation and not be able to deal with the whole patient? I worry about that very much, Mark. And I think certainly in the major cities, it's very difficult for the general surgeon to do the whole portfolio of cases that perhaps they were exposed to as a resident because we have so many people who are specializing in the cities. So it's very difficult to do it all. This has not been imposed on us by the American Board of this or the American College of that or whatever. This is a trend that individuals have made for their own personal reasons. They feel comfortable. They feel it's safer. They're less likely to get sued. And they get good in a certain area, and then they end up just doing that. I mean, I've heard from some really good surgeons that used to do everything that now they do one operation. That's all they do. So what happened to that traditional relationship between the family practice physician and the one general surgeon? Well, it's broken down. I think the family doctor in the city probably uses a lot of different doctors depending on what the disease is of the patient, and then they, they focus on a surgeon who just sort of does that kind of work. Now, in the rural communities, and I have utmost respect for the rural physicians, the, the rural primary care doctors, the rural surgeon, that's a much different situation. And in rural America, the general surgeon working with the primary care doctor, a good general surgeon and a good primary care doctor, I've informed, can take care of about 90% of the needs of a community. Quite remarkable. And, and in that setting, 
the general surgeon does a lot more. I mean, they may be working with the obstetrician gynecologist with C-sections. They may be doing some gynecological surgery. They may be doing some basic orthopedics. It would be very exciting. And I've met some marvelous rural general surgeons who have a quite broad portfolio, truly a general surgical practice that you just don't see in the cities anymore. I want to thank Dr. Thomas Russell, who has been our guest. We have been discussing the future of surgery. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to a special segment on the future of medicine on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to check out our website at www.reachmd.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to a special series, Insights in Future Medicine on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals.